Lord Jesus, we praise you for this morning. Lord, we praise you for worship. Father, I love that last song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Father, this morning, would you simplify our faith down to that? Nothing more, nothing less. Just Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Let's give the Lord a hand for these guys. Okay, underneath your chair is a card. Some of you have a pen on it, some of you don't. Some of you have a pen two or three chairs down. That is our small group sign-up card. We're doing groups where we're going to get together and talk about the passage that we're in on Sunday mornings. Um, and it's only six weeks. Everybody say six weeks. So if you get in a terrible group, guess what? It's just six weeks. Come on. Anybody who's been around the church long enough, you've got a couple of like small group horror stories and you probably have a couple small group success stories. Yeah? Is that true? Yeah, come on. We do. Abby and I do. Uh, we were early on, Abby and I were in a um, couple small group with people from all these different churches. Um, and it was, we were crawling into the group every week, sort of feeling like a raging mess. You ever feel like that? Is that, is that just me? Am I the only one being honest this morning? Okay, thank you. Appreciate that. Um, so I'll continue to be honest. Uh, so Abby and I would go into this group, and it never failed that they would begin to share about what was going on in their lives, and I'd walk out going, wow, we're not doing nearly as bad as I thought. <laughs> so listen to me. Groups can be an extraordinary source of life and encouragement. Sunday morning is a great place for us to gather as a church. It's also a great place to gather in homes, break bread, and open the word with one another and share. So sign up for a small group. Cynthia, would you wave at us? She's sitting right there behind you all. Um, if you want to sign up for a group, she's going to be at the table straight out this door right after our service. Sound good? Okay. Here we go. I am continuing in John 6. We're going to pick up right where we left off. Um, and we're going to cross-reference Matthew 14. This is about the big storm on the Sea of Galilee. And I think the most important thing here that I, I want us to begin to see, and if you can get this, you'll never look at a storm in your own life the same way. Okay? I promise you. Do you anybody in a storm today? Am I the only one being honest again? Um, you know, I was, as I was preparing for this and just thinking about even the last two and a half years, as a nation and then as a world, we've been in a global pandemic. That's a storm, right? Uh, we've experienced business and community shutdown. We've experienced school shutdown. We've experienced schedule changes and life changes and business changes. We've experienced having to wear masks. We've experienced not being able to travel, not being able to cross into other countries. We've experienced huge uh, interracial turmoil and difficulty. We've experienced uh, inflation now and real challenges with many of our businesses. Um, and, and even, uh, I, I think there'd be rampant at this point distrust of um, government at points, um, different government institutions. And so when we look across and survey the last two and a half years, I basically look and go, man, we've been in a storm. Yeah, 
It feels like a storm. And Abby and I just kind of keep pressing in our own little way, in our own little place. But when I step back and survey the entire situation, the church has been in a storm. I mean, we were meeting at Hoggard High School, and then all of a sudden, we weren't meeting at Hoggard High School, and we were online. And it was like the, the changes have been absolutely extraordinary. So what I would love for you to even go into this message with as we read the words of Jesus here and what happened both in in John and in Matthew, I want you to think or um, evaluate the storms in your own life because what's most important is actually not the storm you're in or I'm in or we're in even globally. The, the the, The most important thing, and I didn't even mention Ukraine, come on, speaking of global, I mean, it is like storm after storm after storm. So what I want you to focus on is who is Jesus in the storm? All right? That's the question as we look at these two passages. So uh, it's it's so funny because Abby and I um, talk amazingly after Sunday services, and we'll sit down and we're having lunch or whatever, and the kids go down for a nap. And she begins, and she'll always say, Michael, we get in there and you start talking. I'm like, yeah. And you set the table or you like go on and on. And she's like, I'm always sitting there waiting. What? When's it going to happen? When's the point? And she's like, it's always great because there's this ignition point in the sermon where it's like, oh my goodness, my eyes are open and my heart's open. But she said, a lot of times I'm sitting there just waiting like, Michael. So if you're sitting there waiting with Abby, be at peace. There is an ignition point that the Lord is bringing. So um, speaking of storms, if I had you look at the last years of your life, so if you, if you drew a line that represented your life, however many decades, one decade or six or eight or however many decades you've got of life experience, and I had you go in and um, put a um, mark over the, the, the um, I guess, timeline of your life where you were closest to the Lord Jesus, If you've been in Christ a long time, you could probably do that. If you're new to the faith or if you're new in Christ, you probably couldn't do that. But for those of you who've been around a while, if you you took a timeline of your life, could you go in and put some marks on where you were closest to him? Yeah? What I think would be fascinating is if then on that same timeline, if we had you go back and then superimpose on the timeline, where were the greatest crises in your life? What do you think we'd discover There was some overlap. I think what most of us would begin to discover is at the moment of greatest storm, at the moment of greatest trial, at the moment of greatest uncertainty, was also the moment either during or slightly after or on the back end of that crisis and greatest fear, storm, and uncertainty is the spot that we began to sense that we were most close or had the greatest need and hungry heart towards the Lord Jesus, where we effectively perhaps shifted our eyes off of the things that don't matter onto him And in that moment, all of a sudden, through the crisis and through the storm, we experience the greatest connection and intimacy with the Lord Jesus. Some of you got to shift your perspective and start going, all right, Lord, thanks for the storm. But the key, I think, even here this morning is who is Jesus in the storm? All right, let's dig in. I'm in John 6, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, New Testament. We're going to cross-reference Matthew 14. So that's the first book of the New Testament If you're scrolling on your phone, none of that matters. Anyway, okay, John 6, and I'm going to actually start in verse 14. Um, 
And let's stand again for the reading of God's word. If you're online, you cannot hear the squeak of our chairs, but if you're in the room, you can. All right, let's read. John 6, starting in verse 14. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Verse 16, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but they had gone, uh, but that he, Jesus, that they, Jesus had gone away alone. Verse 23, then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. Okay, stay standing for just a moment. We're going to read Matthew 14. You're flipping back in your Bible. Matthew 14. And we're going to read the same story in Matthew, starting in verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. When he dismissed the crowd, uh, while he dismissed the crowd, after he had dismissed them, he went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. When he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you open your word to us? Father, would you open your spirit? Lord, would you allow us to see you more accurately and clearly in the storm? And then, Father, would you allow us to posture our hearts, lives, and decisions differently because we know you more fully? In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So this is most likely the same story. One's John's perspective, one's Matthew's perspective. Matthew adds in the the part about Peter. John's keeping to the main thing, um, which is this is the God of creation. This is the God that the winds and seas obeys. But one of the things that I love here is that Jesus did all this during the day? No. During the 
night. So he did this away from the crowds. He did this actually when no one was looking. He did this uh, not when all the people were, were looking at him or watching. And I, I begin to sort of look at the person of Jesus, and you've got to go, okay, he knows their motives. He knows they're probably mixed. Many of him are following him uh, to see the miracles or even to eat the bread. And so he begins to even do some things in secret, so what I would even propose, and this is almost a hard thing to hear or say or think about, but uh, very, it, it is easy um, and somewhat popular to think of Jesus as healer or as redeemer um, or even as friend or as rescuer or as provider, but it's very different to begin to see Jesus as Savior and Lord. And I think what Jesus is actually beginning to unfold here is he is attempting to help these 12 men, his disciples, transition from just being like the crowd that follow him to see the miracles or follow him to eat the bread, but actually follow him because he's Savior and Lord. And so I think the fascinating thing is how did Jesus send or how did Jesus shape these 12 people? And you can probably begin to make some application into your own life. In other words, how's he shaping me? Yeah? Okay, so let's, um, I, I think, think here for just a minute because Jesus actually sends the disciples um, out onto the lake. Do you think he knew the storm was coming? You mean he sent the disciples into a storm? Yes. They'd seen the miracle. They'd experienced the feeding of the 15,000, we guessed last week. And now he's sending them into the storm to shape them and help them even understand who he is as Savior and as Lord. So let me, let me tell you a, a story coming out of our life, and then I want to sort of make parallel to this as we look at these four attributes of this God, attributes of this Jesus in a storm or in a crisis. So um, in 2009, I took a job as a youth pastor. It was like an ultra, ultra part-time job for like $12,000 as a, as a youth pastor. And that's actually how I became bivocational, because I was... Um, landscaping and being a youth pastor. And uh, over time, um, Abby and I kept doing more and more things at the church, okay? So uh, they began to have us preach, and then we had us lead summer camp, and there was a children's pastor that, that stepped out, and so we were the children's pastor for a while. And uh, by the end of things, we're like the head of staff, and we're preaching half the year, and we're like, all, all this stuff is happening. And there's a senior pastor um, transition that's going on, and we all assumed what do you think we assumed? That we'd get it. Now, what complicated things was Abby and I uh, had felt so clearly like we had had a nudge from the Lord that he'd called us to be senior pastors in Wilmington. And we made some assumptions. Do you ever do that? You get a, you get a genuine nudge from the Lord, and then what do you do? You make some assumptions, and you add some things to it, and all of a sudden, well, this is, this is what God said. It, whoop, did he? So in our case, uh, we made some assumptions, and I think genuinely even the Lord probably made an offer, and when it came down to it, it was like this year-and-a-half process, and at the end of the whole process, they hired a different senior pastor. He's a much better fit for that group than I am, so it's a, it's a really wonderful thing. But what happened now inside of Michael and Abby? 
the storm. I'll never forget because we were called into this meeting and we were walking into a meeting where we thought what they were going to tell us is, oh, congratulations, you're the new senior pastor. And they said, oh, congratulations, we picked somebody else. And I have a great poker face when I need to, so I have poker face on. And I walked out and what immediately erupts inside of both Abby and I is this, Lord, we really felt like we had heard you. We felt like we were following you. We felt like we were obeying you. And I can't even go into all of the exact details, but, but there was a number of layers in our life. We were actually in the process of losing a, um, uh, a foster to adopt baby that we thought we were going to get to keep. So that's happening. We just lost the job. I don't make enough at landscaping to support us. And all of a sudden, Michael is, what do you think? I'm afraid. I'm doubting. I'm questioning God. Lord, how could, you, how could you lead us into this dead end? How could you lead us to a spot where we don't see clearly? How could you lead us to a spot where we're this afraid? And I don't know about you, but when we're fearful and doubting or frustrated or disappointed in our marriage, guess what happens? We fuss with each other. Come on, some of y'all. So Abby and I are in this really painful storm. We're in this really difficult spot. And I think if I was, um, you know, just totally ruthlessly honest, I'd go that my fear and my doubt came to the surface. And I just went, oh, my goodness, Lord, where are we? You've led us into this dead end. So if Jesus knew the storm was coming for the disciples, if Jesus knew the storm was coming for Michael and Abby, and it would also appear, I think this is interesting here in verse 16, that, or you see in verse 15 of John, knowing that they, the people, intended to come and make him, Jesus, king by force, he withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And then verse 16, he makes the disciples get into a boat and go out in the lake. So why did he push the disciples out into the lake? got to dig here just a minute. So the people intended to come make Jesus king by force. Okay, so what would they have done with the disciples? Elevated them. They'd have lifted them up. They'd have put them in positions of power. And those bunch of knuckleheads were too immature and not trustworthy enough to be lifted up and elevated into positions of power. They were young, young guys, untested, unbroken, untrained. And so Jesus, I think, wisely knowing if, they are, if we are taken and he's made king by force, it's going to short circuit the plan of God to release the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of heaven. And it's going to cause these 12 guys to be elevated before they can handle it. And how many of you know that succeeding before you're ready is about the worst thing that can happen to a young person? So Jesus knows that if these guys are elevated and suddenly made rulers, they're going to get big heads and hard hearts, and all of a sudden they're going to totally miss the purpose and the plan God has for them. So he says, get on the boat and get out into the storm. Now, what's interesting here is if Jesus knew the storm was coming um, and these, the disciples are high on the adrenaline of feeding 15,000 people, I mean, they're probably feeling at this moment like, man, we are something, right? We are following the right guy. Like I am like, I'm the, you know, I'm the right hand of the right guy and he's feeding the, the 15,000 people and he's the Messiah and I'm his guy and I'm here, so I am something important. They're feeling, you know, this self sort of exaltation, this probably pride in themselves. And it's not too long before they actually argue about who's the greatest. And so what's Jesus do but stick the knuckleheads in a boat and sends them off into the sea? 
So what I love here that you could begin to see, and we should probably even say that there are times when our storms are the result of our disobedience. Okay, take, take Jonah in the Old Testament. God says, if you don't know Jonah in the Old Testament, go and read it sometime. But God says, uh, go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, nope, not going to happen. I'm going the other way. And God sends a storm. Now, but more often than not, when someone is actually in the will and way of Jesus, the storm comes. You got to get that. A lot of Christians tend to believe, I'm going to come to Christ, or even a, a, a non-believer is thinking, okay, I'm going to come to Christ, I'm going to give him my life, and then everything's going to be wonderful. Yes and no. Jesus is going to send you into the... Come on. Okay, y'all are getting it. All right, so uh, sometimes the storm is actually due to our obedience. And I think it's worth in any situation evaluating and saying, Lord, is this due to disobedience or is this due to obedience? What's fascinating, and I'll bring this back at the very end, but this past week, while I'm working on this message and I'm planning to tell you this story about my own storm of fear and doubt, I got a phone call from a friend of mine, and he said, verbatim, I'm so glad you're at Rolling Grace and not at that other church because God's going to do something unique. I was like, oh. But in the moment, my fear, in the moment, my doubt, in the moment, my questioning, in the moment, my turmoil, in the moment, my angst, in the moment, even Abby and I fussing in our marriage, in the moment, the storm is so real that you're going, are we all going to sink like the disciples and die on the Sea of Galilee? So let's notice something here. Jesus, if you look at the Matthew passage, you can flip back there if you want. But Jesus, uh, in Matthew, goes up to a solitary place on a mountain. Um, And I, I think the first thing that I want you to see is Jesus is watching over the disciples in the storm. So it says he sent them out in the evening. So what time's evening? Four, five, six, something like that, yep. Getting, getting late in the evening, okay. And then it says he went to him just before dawn. So what time's just before dawn? Four, five, six. Oh my goodness. So Jesus goes up onto a mountain and he actually watches the disciples as they're out rowing in a boat across the lake, struggling at the oars, scared to death, afraid they're all gonna sink, drown, and die. And he's up there. Now, the first thing I want you to see is Jesus, this is the God that no matter what storm you're in, he is watching over you. And what's, a, what's amazing is there's this guy named Bargill Pixner. He's an archaeologist. I love um, his actually, father, Bargill Pixner. He's a priest. He's no longer alive. But he actually proposed something um, that I uh, believe is accurate and, and is fascinating. But he actually proposed that in the places where the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John says Jesus withdraws to a solitary place place. And it says that a lot. Have you ever read that? Come on, some of you. Okay. So it says Jesus withdraws to a solitary place. Well, that solitary or lonely in Greek is Eremos. And so what Bargill does, this archaeologist, is he gets on the ground on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, and he's beginning to talk to the locals, get to know the people, understand the background. And lo and behold, there's a geographic location named Eremos. 
So I believe what Bargill uncovered is that Jesus wasn't merely going to some random solitary place, but he had this special solitary place where other people were not. And if you go there today, Bargill, there's this little monument that Bargill set up, um, and it's absolutely fascinating to see. And just down the hill from that is this cave. And it's at least possible that the Lord Jesus actually sat in this cave. And when it says that Jesus withdrew to a solitary place, when he sent the disciples out on the lake, that he's sitting in this cave and he is praying and overlooking the lake while the disciples are all struggling at the oars. So here's the thing. Some of us feel like when we get in a storm, we're all alone. Some of us feel like when we're in a mess and we're in a raging storm that he's abandoned us or he's left us. And what I actually want to begin to open up for you is if you could begin to change and allow even the Holy Spirit to change your mind, to change your heart, that instead of wringing your hands and going, I'm all alone, I'm afraid, how is the Lord going to provide? My marriage is in crisis. I've lost a job. Inflation's going bonkers. What about Ukraine? What about politics in America? What about racial tension? You you hear me? Instead of just going down the what-if bunny trail, if you begin to step back and go, okay, this is the God that is watching over me in the storm. He's watching me. He's with me. And if there's any prayer I have for Abby and I, even in our home, even in this church, in this journey, is that we don't see ourselves as people who are all alone and isolated in a storm, but rather we see a storm as something strategic that God has allowed, that he intends to use, and that in his sovereignty, he is watching graciously over us. Some of you need to go, okay, I'm in a storm, but I'm not alone. I'm not alone. And at the end of the day, I actually think that's what we care about. You know, for me, when I got this news, you're not the next senior pastor. My own, my own storm erupts, right? What I really, I was like, I think I, at first, like on the front end, I feel some rejection uh, from people. But then what's really, like, my entire life is built on this personal, intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus, where I'm attempting to listen to him and to follow him. And if I'm listening and following him, and all of a sudden he's not there anymore, and I'm just by myself walking, you see what I'm saying? Like, I've risked everything, I've staked everything, I've put everything into this, and it's like, Jesus, if you're not real, and all of a sudden my doubts and my fears come caving down on me, it becomes this massive storm. And for you, you might be sitting there going, that doesn't sound like a big deal. I've staked it all on this. You hear me? And whatever your storm is in your life, I guarantee it's, it's as real and as dire. And if you're not in it, guess what? You're going to be in another one. You know, if you're in one now, guess what? You're going to come through it. You know, it's, it's, it, you're, you're going to get there. So number one, we have Jesus, the God who watches over us. He probably, I, I'm, I'm going to propose he watched them from 4 or 5 p.m. to 4 or 5 a.m. He watched over those guys in the storm for 12 hours. I wish I could take you there today. We'd sit in that spot on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee and look out. The second thing I want you to see, and you all, this also comes out of the Matthew passage. I guess i got to flip there. I think it's in verse 23. But after he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. So not only is this Jesus, the God who watches over us, this is now Jesus, the God who prays for us. 
He's sitting there in the side of this mountain. He, perhaps he's in that cave. Perhaps he's looking out at them at the night. Maybe there's a moon. Maybe there's not. Maybe it's cloudy. We don't really know. But he's looking out at this little speck on the lake, and he's watching over them, number one. And then number two, he's praying for them. I mean, what's amazing is I think most of us tend to think of God as this like reserved, withdrawn, slightly angry guy waiting for us to mess up so that he can bop us on the head and go, ah. You know, and what you get here is such the opposite of that. I mean, that's like old-fashioned, old-school religion. It is not in the Bible. What you actually get is Jesus, this tender, compassionate God, who knows that if the crowd comes and grabs these disciples, it'll be the end of them. It'll be the demise of them. So he puts them in the boat and says, listen, guys, you don't even know yet, but the best thing for you is to head right into this storm. And while you're in the storm, I'm going to watch over you, number one. And while you're in the storm, I'm going to pray for you, number two. I mean, this is so powerful that this is the God that watches over you, and then this is the God that prays for you. Romans 8, 26 says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. This is the God that prays for us. And some of you somewhere need to go, oh my goodness, I'm in a storm, I'm in a crisis, but Jesus is watching over me and now Jesus is praying for me. Like it is transcendent. If you would wake up in the morning and your eyes flicker open that first moment, and I don't know if you're like me or not, but when my eyes flicker open, all the like worst stuff just goes through my brain. Are y'all like that? No, all the best stuff goes through yours? Maybe I'm weird. Where's Dwayne? Maybe I'm crazy too. (laughs) But what's beginning to happen inside of me is instead of all the worst stuff going through, I'm beginning to be transformed. Not just, I have a new heart because I'm in Jesus, right? But my mind is even being transformed. And instead of the worry, the fear, the doubt, the whatever, what's beginning to go through is this is the God that's watching over me. This is the God that is praying for me like championing me, championing you, rooting you onward. So when you look at Jesus, possibly sitting in that little Aramis cave, looking out on the Sea of Galilee, praying for his disciples, already having delivered them from that which they didn't even know. If the crowd took them to Jerusalem, it would have been the end of them. And now they're in the storm. I think the third thing that we immediately begin to see is not only did Jesus watch over them, not only did Jesus uh, pray for them, but what did Jesus do? When morning was on its way, he got up and he went to them. This is the Jesus, the God who comes to us in the storm. Let's look at John 6, verse 19. When they had rowed about three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on water. They were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Uh, that translation there, I don't think that's um, wrong. That, that, that's in Greek, that's ego, I, me. And we would translate it, it is I. But I don't think that's what Jesus said. It's my opinion. Um, and the the Bible, I would say, in its original form and languages, is the inerrant word of God. This is not the original form. You understand that? This is the English translation. So when Jesus rolls up, I think what Jesus said is not the way it would make sense in English. It is I. I think what Jesus says is, who knows where I'm going? 
I am. I am. So what Jesus is saying in that moment to these guys is he's quoting Moses, which they all would have known at the burning bush where God introduced himself to Moses. That's Exodus 3.14 if you want to look it up. But um, Moses in his own fear and doubt standing at the burning bush, Moses is in his own storm, and Moses goes, what, who do I tell the people you are? What, what's your name? Like, what, how do I introduce you? And God says, I am. In other words, I was, I am, I will be, present, active, I am. I stand outside of time. I am God, the creator of heaven and earth. I am the God who knit you together. I am the God who knows how to separate the past, the present, and the future. I am the God who knows and will deliver my people in Exodus, Old Testament. Now I'm the God that's ushering in the kingdom of heaven through these 12 uh, disciples on the Sea of Galilee. When they're all scared to death, they think their boat's going to sink. And he shows up and he says, I am. I am the creator. I am the one who made the wind and waves. I am the one who the wind and waves obey. I am the one. No wonder they were terrified. Proverbs actually says that uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I am the one that created the wind and the waves. I am the God that stills the storm. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God of David. I am the God that parts the Red Sea, and I am the God that calms the Sea of Galilee. So we've got Jesus, this God that uh, watches over you. We've got Jesus, this God that actually prays for you, cares about what you're in the middle of. In other words, no matter what you're facing or doing, if you care about it, if it's important to you, guess what? It's important to him. And then you have Jesus, this God that actually walks out there on the water and comes to them in the storm. So you got Jesus, the God who watches over us, Jesus, the God who prays for us, Jesus, the God who comes to us in the storm. And then I think if we flipped to the end of that John 6 passage, verse 21, it says, then they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The other passage, it says, the, there was silence on the sea or the seas calmed down. So Jesus uh, is the God who delivers them. He's the God who delivers us from our earthly fears into a fear of God. He's the God who, and what's absolutely amazing is you have Peter here. Um, Let's go back there and look at Peter for just a second in Matthew 14. I love Peter here. In my opinion, in Matthew 14, this is where Peter becomes the leader of the disciple band. So all of them are there in the boat. Uh, Matthew 14, verse 27. Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Or in the Greek, I am. That's right, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Now what I love about this, we touched on it last week, I think. But of the 12, could any of them have spoken up? Yes. Is there a relationship to our own hunger our own desire for God, our own desire to take risks and get out of the boat, our own desire to actually ask him and have faith in him and what he's able to do in and through our lives. Yes, absolutely. This is the God who at some point is waiting. He's the God who's gonna come to you and deliver you, but he's also the God that's waiting for you to respond to his initiation. I love that Peter said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to get out of the boat. And did Peter do it perfectly? No, 
He sunk. I think God is way more interested in the heart that is willing to get out of the boat and take a risk than the heart that's going to do it perfectly. God is not interested in your perfection. You're never going to measure up, nor am I. Don't even try. You may as well give it up and get on your knees and surrender it all to King Jesus. Like, it's not going to happen. But he's already paid it all. It's the finished work of the cross. This is the Jesus who comes to you and delivers you from the storm. And in this moment, Peter gets out of the boat and actually walks on water. I think that it's that heart attitude. I think it's that hunger. It's that heart posture in Peter that Jesus takes and says, this is the guy that's going to head up the first church in Jerusalem. That's amazing. That's the type of hunger that this God is looking for. Okay, so if we have Jesus, a God that watches over us, Jesus, a God that prays for us, Jesus, a God that comes to us in the storm, and then Jesus, the God that delivers us from the storm, what are we wringing our hands about? I mean, you hear me? Like in that moment when you get outside of it and you begin to go, you might not like it, you might not understand it. Do you think the disciples understood? I bet they didn't understand that Jesus was saving them from their own arrogance until years and years later by sending them in that boat. I bet that they didn't understand that their big pride, because they'd fed 15,000 people with Jesus, needed to be humbled and abased out on that lake until many years later. In fact, I'm convinced that Jesus didn't let these guys write the Gospels immediately because their theology and their even view of him and view of what had happened would have been self exultant. And I think as they waited years and years before they penned the Gospels in their memory of what happened and as the Holy Spirit even sifted their own hearts, that it was in that space and place and time that they actually were able to see some of what God was doing because God is always doing something in our lives. You can rest assured. You may not like it. You may be fussing. You may be hurt. You may be digging in your heels. You may be cussing and screaming and dragging. Do you, Christians do that? Yes. But listen to me. This is the God that hasn't forgotten you. He sees you. He prays for you. He's going to come to you, and he's going to deliver you. This is the God. The question is, will you cling to him in the storm, or are you going to do it your own way? I think it took Abby and I about a year to walk through our own hurt and disappointment. And there was a group at that point that was like, oh, plant a church tomorrow. And we were like, no, we are not interested. I don't care if we have a million people. I don't want angry, disappointed people who are trying to do their own thing. So we took 14 months off, and I moved dirt and planted flowers, and it was so good for my soul. But it took time, just like it took the disciples' time. It took time in my heart and in Abby's heart to come to the point where we could even begin to recognize what God was doing. And I don't think we got the nudge from the Lord wrong. I think we added to it some of our own timing, will, and way. And when you take that nudge from the Lord, the whisper of God, the direction of God, and you add your mess to it, it's a recipe. How many of you know that? 
But when you're willing to hear whatever little part you think you heard in that whisper of God, and when you're willing to carry it with a humble, surrendered heart and stop trying to manufacture it in your own way, in your own time, in your own will, he will see it to completion. He will deliver you through and to and into something. This is the God that will never, never forget us. Come on. Yes, Lord Jesus, come and deliver some of us from our storms. Dwayne and Nicole, are you guys around? Maybe. I might be by myself. Oh, they're right here. Thank you. Here's what I'd love to do. I would love, are you guys doing turn your eyes upon Jesus? Come on. Yes, yes. It's the whole point of the whole message. Yes, let's do that. Here's what I'd love us to do. I'd love for us to stand as a church. I'd love for them to lead us and turn your eyes upon Jesus. And I would love for us as a group of people, whatever storm you're in, whatever spot you're facing, whatever your fear, your doubt, your anxiety, your uncertainty, whatever pain you're in, whatever relational crisis you're in, wherever you are, bring that thing into the feet and to the feet of Jesus and place it firmly in his hands. And let's be a church that clings not to the seen reality, but to the unseen reality that this is the God that is watching over, praying for, delivering us, and even coming to us in the middle of the storm. Can we do that? Y'all take it away when you're ready. Would our prayer team come up? Our prayer team would just come up front during this closing song. And if you need special prayer, come on down. These aren't super Christians, by the way. They're just broken people like you and me. They just want to encourage you in your Jesus journey. But if you need special prayer, just come on down. Got Ed and Amy over here, all the way over to Paul and Denise over there. So come on and grab somebody. If you want to come down to the front and just stand here during this closing song and not talk or pray with anybody, feel free. There's this nice big open space. But let's take this moment and truly turn our eyes upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face.
Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess and are saved. Is there anyone in here that needs to give their life to Jesus? Would anyone be brave enough to go, Oh man, I want to know this Jesus that would pray for me, that would watch over me, that would come to me, and that would deliver me. Is there anyone? If you're online and you're watching us and you want to give your life to Jesus, just say so in the chat and one of us will get in touch with you. Lord Jesus, as we go from this place today, Father, I don't know that you're going to deliver all of us in this moment from the storms. I don't know that you're going to deliver us from the trials. But Father, here's what we know, that you're going to watch over us, you're going to pray for us, that you're going to come to us in the storm, and ultimately you will deliver us. Father, would you let us be a people that doesn't dwell in the what-ifs and the worries and the fears, but instead dwells on the larger kingdom of God reality, that you, King Jesus, have never left us and will never leave us despite our emotions despite the way we may feel. Lord, we love you, and I pray for this church on this day, the ones in the room and the ones online, that you would bless them in the mighty name of Jesus, and that you would make your person, your will, and your way all the more real to them. In 
Jesus' name we pray. Amen.